Never have I ever admitted where I got the energy to start Down to Brown. And so it is time. I started Down to Brown because I was actually, it was the summer of 2020 when we were all in our peak banana bread mode of the pandemic that I started this show called Never Have I Ever on Netflix. This was a show that we had built up for a long time because, especially if you're in the South Asian community, one of the most exciting things was that it was about an Indian family. And if you've been following Hollywood for the last whatever 200 years, you'll know that there are very far and few Indian families represented somewhat accurately on the screen, and especially one as specific as the Million Hindu family. That being said, it's still not super representative broadly of the South Asian experience as a whole, um, but it is one story. And honestly, sometimes I'll take it. One story is a start for many others to follow, I hope. Richa doesn't know this, but I watched her and remember thinking, damn, when I knew her in college as my Bollywood captain for a dance we were performing, I knew she was into dance. Like, she was living and breathing the stream of dancing, acting, theater, you name it. And it was something that I remember being like, oh, that's so interesting. I don't know many people who like that um, and who also openly pursue it. So that's super exciting for her. Um, I remember she taught me a backbend and that ended up being my last day in the dance because I ended up doing it incorrectly. That wasn't her fault. But later, during a very intimate moment with my ex, um, I ended up triggering a slipped disc in my back, which has forever stayed with me. And I found out that I have a pair of extra ribs. So fun self-discoveries occur when you do Bollywood, guys. Anyway, fast forward to my sofa, where like many others, I was deeply depressed about the pandemic, did not know what to do with myself other than consume alcohol, and lose myself in Netflix. So we were watching the show and I remember seeing her and thinking, wow, that's my Bollywood captain. I remember her so well. And like she made her dream happen. And then I got down this path of not envy, but like, man, if I had stuck to something like her, no matter what, for 10 plus years, where could I have gone with it? I had had this idea for the podcast since 2017, but I had just never done anything about it. So instead of baking banana bread, I decided I would get started. What I really appreciate about catching up with Richa is hearing about her journey of utmost persistence and conviction of what she wanted to do with her life, believing in it, and really pushing herself even when things were super tough, which she talks about. I also really appreciated where she is now today and how she's thinking about her platform. Lastly, I think the big takeaway for me was find my tribe. I think all of us can acknowledge that it takes a village to be able to pursue our dreams. And although it takes a lot of work on our end individually, that the support of others can really help you even when you're like, why am I doing this again? And Richa certainly reminded me of that. Um, and we also talk about the piece of belonging in both American and Indian and that dash gray area arena. She talks about her accent on the show and how she made that decision and how she worked on it. The fact that when you are an underrepresented group up on stage or in an industry like cinema, people are still going to demand a lot from you, whether or not they're entitled to that and whether or not it's fair to even ask of that for, from you. Without any more suspense, let's talk to Richa. Recha Murjani, not Richa Shukla, as I knew you from college. Welcome to the show. 
Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for being open to it. And I'm super stoked too. I mean, it's been 12, 13 plus years, I think, that I last hung out with you. Yeah, it's crazy how time flies. I know. Um, college days. But I remember when <laughs> I um, watched you on your show, Never Have I Ever, last summer, um, I watched it and I was like, wait, I know this girl. And <laughs> after thinking about it, I was like, oh, my God, this is our Bollywood captain, Richa. <laughs> um, but I thought twice about actually messaging you on Facebook because I realized our messages had been saved since like 2008. And the last message I had sent you was like, I'm really broke. I can't pay for the costume until my dad transfers money in like two weeks. And I was like, God damn it. I don't want that to resurface. Like after all this time, that's what she's going to remember me for. I literally have no memory of you ever sending me that message. That's good. Um, actually, sorry. I was talking about a friend. That was not me. <laughs> so Probably should not have brought that up. But um, our origin story of like how I met you, it was through that Bollywood dance in a showcase for our college. Um, and I think that's an appropriate place for me to start because I know um, from just following you and um, knowing you then that dance was clearly a really big passion for you. I mean, mm -hmm. Um, we all grew up like with some exposure, right? Our cousins would be like, wow, you guys do a lot more Indian stuff than we do. But I think you took it to a different level. You continue to perform Kathak, you teach Bollywood, et cetera. So I'm really curious, like this is not something that typically our community, um, you know, we're, we're usually asked to become engineers and lawyers, et cetera. So how did you find yourself going through this um, and being able to make it full time and finding that confidence to do that? Yeah, Um Honestly, I think it has, I think it's mostly because of the fact that I come from a very artistic family. I've talked about this in other interviews as well, but basically my parents have a Bollywood music band and that's actually how they met 40, 45 years ago oh uh, in, Ber <laughs> yeah, in Berkeley, California. And uh, so my mom's a singer and then my dad uh, plays all different instruments and was the manager of the band, um, or I guess he, he started the band. And um so yeah, I, I grew up in a very artistic household and watching my parents perform Bollywood songs every weekend and, and practicing in the basement and uh, having music parties at home where everyone was um, enjoying the music and dancing. And um, my parents, or my mom, I should say, put me in Indian classical dance classes, uh, Kathak classes when I was five. And so that pretty much opened the world of dance and performing and storytelling to me at that very young age. And I am very grateful and blessed to say that my parents have been incredibly encouraging and supporting of my artistic endeavors and have pretty much always um, given me the motivation to do it. And, you know, it's, it's, I know so many people who come from South Asian households don't have that kind of, um, or didn't have that kind of upbringing. And, and, and so I know people who, you know, whether they're actors or dancers, their parents haven't been so supportive. <clears throat> Sorry. Is my voice like, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just needed to clear my throat. Sorry. Yeah, no <laughs> you can be human. <laughs> don't have a moment. <laughs> I'm wearing headphones, so I can't hear my voice, but I feel like it sounded really weird just now. Okay. Anyways, I'm, I'm very lucky that my parents were so supportive because I know so many actors and dancers of South Asian descent whose parents were not so supportive. Um, and it's been just that much harder for them to try and make it in this industry that, you know, it's so important to have that support. It's so important emotionally, 
physically and financially to have support from your parents because otherwise it's just that much more difficult. Absolutely. And I I love how much you acknowledge that privilege and not to mention though, like still it's really challenging to make it in such a competitive industry. So I don't think it takes away from what you've accomplished, but certainly probably helped um, make a couple things easier um, growing up. But did you feel like um, you ever got questions from like uncles or aunties like, oh, like, why not like just uh, try something at like accounting or something like that during the years that you were trying to star in something big? Um, Honestly, no, I I don't really feel like I had any um, aunties or uncles or like extended family people that would um, feel like they even had the right to say that to me. Um, And, you know, because my parents also are artists and I already said that, you know, how much they supported me. Like, I don't think if anybody ever did say something like that to me, it probably would have gone right over my head because if my parents support me, why would I care what anybody else says? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I feel like I was very lucky in the sense that the community that I did grow up in, you know, my parents had to have still have a very large extended, um, extended family. Like, so I have a lot of family friends that I grew up with of all South Asian people, and they've all been so amazing and, and happy for me and supportive. And every time I go to, you know, family occasions, whether it's a wedding or a holiday or something, everyone's just so happy for me and, and proud of me. And that just makes me feel so supported and so loved. And, um, if anything, I would say that, you know, there have been the occasional time where an auntie or uncle would ask me really triggering questions like, <laughs> like, Oh, so you're an actor. Like, what are you, what, what have you been in? What, what, what are you doing? Or, um, like, why aren't you in this movie? Why aren't you in that show? Because they think that that's just how it works. Like of I just like, call somebody up and be like, Hey, can you put me in my show in your show? Cause I'm Indian. So I guess that's <laughs> one thing I have definitely faced, but it was never, it was never like, Oh, you shouldn't be an actor. You should be something else. It was more just them not understanding what acting is and maybe thinking it was a lot easier than it is. Absolutely. I'm, I'm cracking up because the whole like why question is just so interesting. I used to get that about college, like, oh, Davis, like, why not Princeton? Why not Harvard? And I'm like, <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Let me just go and tell them Uncle Bob said that. <laughs> yeah. Like I specifically remember after I did um, a role on the Mindy Project, which was my first TV job when I moved to L.A. Um, and that was about eight years ago. And people were really excited for me because it was a very visible role, albeit a very small role, but people were still very excited about it. And I remember going to all these family occasions after that and people being like, oh, like, why are you only in one episode? Like, why don't you just ask Mindy to like write you in more? I'm like, sure, let me just call Mindy and be like, can you write me into more episodes? Actually, why don't you just text her? I'll just give you my phone. Literally, that's become like a recurring inside joke between me and my sister. Like anytime someone says something along those lines, I'm like, oh, why don't you just call up Mindy? Yeah. amazing (laughs) I mean jokes aside it sounds like you had quite like the supportive champion right like network like cheerleading squad um behind you that must have helped so much but again like I, I feel like this is not a super easy um industry to be like you know like be able to access a certain platform um and so I'm curious like you know like all those times over those years like did you know this is where you wanted to end up yeah definitely I I mean I've been pretty clear about what I wanted to do um, with my career and with my life from basically from childhood. Like I can't remember a time in my life where being an actor wasn't the 
the end goal. That's pretty much been my life dream for as long as I can remember. And it's not that I haven't tried other things. Um, you know, I, I've done all kinds of jobs, even throughout college. I did like marketing internships. I was a communications major. And after I graduated, um, I worked in different places here and there, but, um, nothing ever felt like, um, it was going to replace acting. Acting was the only thing I ever wanted to do. And I knew that no matter what it took or how long it would take, that's the only thing that I would pursue, um, as my ultimate career. Yeah. I'm actually, I really admire that because no matter what the profession, it's not often that I meet people who are so convinced about their inner gut and voice that, then tells you like and pushes you through your life to get there. Um, and I, I, I'm hoping this really helped, right? Like in those moments of doubt or um, when things aren't going great the way that you want. And for people, they say like for to hit success, it's like about like you have to fail 90% of the time, right? That phrase mm -hmm. um, in order to succeed. So mm -hmm. does that resonate for you? Like what failures or challenges did you go through in that time before here? You're, you're here now. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree with that. And I, and I'm glad that I have had all of the rejection and quote unquote failures and, you know, um, roadblocks that I've had, because I think they're all so important for not just me as an actor, but me as a person and my personal growth and my growth as an artist. Um, I think I'm so much better of a person and actor and artist today than I was when I entered the industry nine years ago. I don't think that if a show like Never Have I Ever had come out at that time that I would have been ready for it. Um, and I think that everything happens at the right time. Um, so yeah, it definitely it has not been an easy road and there's been a lot of ups and downs. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just my that inner calling that I've always had and my love and my passion for acting that has taken me through all of that and gotten me through all of it. Because if I didn't have that passion and if I didn't have that level of commitment to acting, um, I'm sure I would have given up a long time ago. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, I'm, I'm really impressed. Like the inner calling that I have is usually that I need more chocolate chip cookies. So the fact that you like, <laughs> oh, hey, with I, I have that inner calling every day after dinner. So <laughs> oh, that's great. All good. <laughs> um, can you, is there an example that you can give us about like a time where you maybe experienced a, a, a type of challenge or failure that you mentioned? Yeah. Oh my God. So many. Um, where do I even begin? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess it began way before I even moved to LA, probably like when I was in high school and auditioning for school plays and not getting any leading parts or sometimes even speaking parts or any parts at all. One time I was not even cast in the play and I asked my teacher why I wasn't cast. And she said there wasn't enough roles and she offered me backstage work. So <laughs> that was probably my first taste of rejection uh, which is good because it, it kind of prepared me for the many more rejections I would face when I moved to LA. But um, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know which one I would want to specifically talk about. But I guess I, I could tell you about um, a year before I booked. Never have I ever like literally exactly a year. I remember thinking about the date. Um, a year from the date I booked. Never have I ever. I was let go by my management team. Mm -hmm. um, and that had come after maybe a year or two that I was um, signed with them and auditioning, but not booking anything and also not auditioning much. Just I just had a long dry spell. And um, 
I just remember my manager calling me one day and I was driving to a a gig that I booked for myself. It was like one of those gigs that was like a hundred bucks for a day. And it was like something I was not at all excited about, but I needed the money and I'm driving there. I'm already not happy about it. And I get a call from my manager saying, um, you know, we just want to let you know now that, you know, before we waste any more of your time and our time, that it's just not working out and uh, we're going to let you go. And that was pretty much it. I don't even remember exactly what he said, but it was like the worst call ever and yeah. made me feel like my life was over and my career was over. And this had already, like I said, come after, you know, a while of not having auditions and not booking jobs. And that was just like the last thing I wanted to hear from the people who you hope are always championing you and supporting you. Right. So that was really crushing and devastating. And after that, I was um, obviously really sad, but um, it took me not too long to pick myself back up and just uh, tell myself that, okay, everything happens for a reason. And right now this is what's happening and just to accept it and, you know, do what I can to keep working. And it wasn't that I was like, okay, I'm going to work even harder now just to show them. For me, it was more <laughs> like a wake up call, like, okay, what reflecting, like what, what can I work on? What maybe some of the things that he said on the phone for the reasons that they were letting me go, what can I pull from that, that I can actually work on? What, what can I take from that? Mm -hmm. So, um, that was a really important moment for me. Um, and that following year after that, I, you know, I, I felt like I let go of being so dependent and attached to acting. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not that I was like, okay, I don't care about acting anymore, but, um, I don't know. There was just a shift that happened where I, started to focus on other areas of my life, um, my relationship, my family, my, um, my health, and uh, my craft, working on training as an actor and not just auditioning and being obsessed with whether or not I get the job. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, that that was such a critical moment for me. And I think a lot of growth happened that year. And a year later, never have I ever came around and I submitted a self-tape and I booked it. So that was a really awesome moment. Absolutely. And I know it's easy to say like, okay, well, because you booked it now looking back, yay. But I think that's a success story nonetheless, even right. If we talked a little before you had booked never have I ever, because I think for that type of resiliency, it, like what you kind of described, it, it reminded me of a little bit of like parallels to dating almost like when you don't try so hard, it might come to you because yeah, it's not because again, like um, that's the most important thing. But like if you just turn around and take care of yourself holistically, it yes. just comes together. Um, and a lot of my like um, so separately, my sessions with therapy tend to end with like my therapist reminding me she holds her like hands in a circle and she's like circle of control. And uh, what can you control? What's in it? What's outside of the circle of control? And I feel like you really focused on that piece of what can I control? Um, exactly. That's so yeah, that that's, I'm prepared. That's absolutely true. And and I really do believe that what you know, whether it's about your job or your relationship or any area of your life that you're too focused on and too attached to, I feel like there is a sort of, I don't know what, what I would call it, but like maybe a, some kind of spiritual resistance that's happening. And yeah. when you learn to just let go and to just trust the process and, and focus on taking care of yourself in a holistic way, I do think things come together for you. Totally. It, it, and like, I liked your piece of spirituality because that's also what I thought of immediately was it's almost like a Buddhist way of like, 
not having expectations tied to things, but if you purely yeah. love it, the thing will come to you. Um, at least exactly. you have to just trust. Um, yes. but that's not always easy. So it's, um, definitely something that I feel like is aspirational at times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, then you got there to never have I ever, um, <laughs> is it safe to say that that was your breakout kind of on Netflix? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I have, you know, worked on a lot of different jobs over the last nine years. Um, but obviously this was the biggest thing I've ever worked on and, um, has been an incredible platform for me and opened a lot of other doors. So super grateful and and not just for myself as an actor, but just for, you know, what this show means to so many people and to the South Asian community. Um, it's a dream come true to work on a project like this. Yeah. I mean, uh, the show I feel like means more than a show to a lot of us, like it to see a high school experience that looked and felt so much like mine and millions of others, I think was so unusual, sadly. Mm-hmm. Like I actually like cried after because I was like, I never, not everything was my experience, right? Like I didn't relate. No, that's also the thing. Every Indian American's experience is not the same. Every right. actor can't represent every Indian person. Right. Um, we're a billion people, but I like still like sat down and just like wine drunk cried to my fiance. Cause I was like, I have never felt so like the questions that were asked, like, am I ugly to her dad and everything? Right. Um, that's the stuff I like, feel like I just let get in the way. Um, when you read that script, like how did you feel like, man, I'm holding something that could be just beyond a show or something that people binge on a weekend? Um, you know, when I, first of all, we didn't get all the scripts all at once. We kind of got like one at a time or two at a time. And then we continued getting the scripts until throughout shooting season one. Um, but I, you know, I definitely knew that it was something very unique and something that was very needed in a space that didn't have a lot of other projects like that. Um, and so that's something I was very excited about. But I don't think any of us knew just how um, much it was going to resonate with not just the South Asian community, but people of all ages and different backgrounds yeah. for different reasons. There's so many different reasons people have related to this show, even just along the, the theme of grief and losing a parent um, at a young age and or losing your husband. Um, and I think, I, I think honestly, I was too focused on doing my job and, and um, it was my first lead role and series regular role in a show. So for me, it was just about getting the accent right doing what I could to make sure I was doing my best work and my best job. And I didn't really have (laughs) the capacity to think about what was going to happen once the show was actually released. That, that (laughs) was kind of a a very pleasant surprise when it released and I, and we saw how successful it became overnight. That makes sense. You're probably like, yeah, I need to do a fucking good job at this. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just going to focus. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you approach like, I mean, you're the first actor I'm speaking to at the scale. So like, how do you approach acting? Um, you know, like how how do you not only the practice, but like when it, I imagine it's very vulnerable, um, you know, while a lot of us watch TV and we might think like, oh, that, that looks easy. But like the minute <laughs> I'm in front of a camera, I'm like, what do I have arms? Um, so <laughs> I'm like curious, like, how do you get through that? Like your voice of strength, like the voice that might, you know, the voice of insecurity and like saboteur. Yeah, I definitely have that voice of insecurity. Uh, I think we all do. And artists are very 
sensitive and insecure people <laughs> for the most part, um, because we're literally bearing our souls to the world. But what I will say about acting is that it is a, it is a constant journey. It is a constant learning process and something that, you know, any art form, whether it's dance or singing or, uh, you know, Indian classical arts, I don't feel like there's ever a time where you're done learning and now you just do it. I think I'll continue, hopefully continue growing and getting better um, for as long as I act. Um, but yeah, I guess with every project and every role and every scene, it's a different process for me. It kind of just depends, mm -hmm. depends on the genre, depends on, you know, what the character is. Um, so I guess I could like specifically talk about never have I ever, um, when it came to playing Kamala, I, first of all, right off the bat felt like I related so much to her character. Um, even though I didn't grow up in India like she did, I am still very connected to my Indian culture and roots. And I've lived in India for a long time um, as an adult. And <clears throat> and I know how it feels to move across the world by yourself where you don't really know anybody very well and pursue a dream. And that's mm -hmm. something she did. And I did the same thing when I moved to India to pursue acting there for a few years. Um and beyond that, just being a young South Asian woman, feeling all the pressures that Gamala faces, like, I mean, I'm married now, but before that, you know, I did feel the pressure to get married and have kids and, you know, do everything on a timeline. And that's something that I think so many of us relate to, not just me. Yeah. Um, and she's, she's just a very lovable character. So I, I really felt like I fell in love with her and related to her right off the bat. Um, so that is one thing that makes the job easier because if I didn't feel like I related to her at all, um, I'm sure I would have had to do a lot more digging. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And then um, when it came to the accent, I worked with, well, first of all, I did a lot of thinking and talking with um, other people in the production about how I wanted to do the accent because she came from India. So she had to have an accent. Um, and I, I just knew that there was going to be, a lot of uh, pressure and not pressure, mm -hmm. pressure is not the right word. I knew there was going to be a lot of uh, skepticism because whenever there is somebody who is not, um, who that's not their natural accent, especially when it comes to South Asians and they do the accent, myself included, I'm always very cynical and I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound like a real accent. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. great. Now that's what's going to happen with me too. But um, that being said, I, you know, I worked a lot on it and and I will say that also when I when I speak with my relatives, when I go to India, and even when I lived in India, the accent that I do for Kamala is like basically how I talk in real life to these people. Right. So um, it didn't feel like, I mean, it would have been a lot harder, I think, if I had to do like an African accent or something completely foreign to me. Um, and I'm not saying that just because I'm Indian, I can do an Indian accent because I don't think that's true for most people. But um, that is naturally how I talk to a lot of people in my own life. And beyond that, I worked with a dialect coach and I did a lot of listening to YouTube videos of people speaking with the accent I was going for. Um, just did as much as I could to make it sound as authentic as possible. And I'm still working on it, you know, even for season two, like I after watching season one, just hearing um, hearing myself in scenes and just um, seeing what I could work on and what I could do if I felt like it was dropping out at any moment. So I'm still trying to work on it. And I'm even taking, taking Tamil classes now. Um, not because I feel like I'm going to learn Tamil and be fluent, but I just do think it helps. Yeah. I mean, I really appreciate that because yeah, with the family being portrayed as the million, it must be um, even more helpful to do that. But uh, I was going to say like, I 
the way you're approaching it is obviously with such care, knowing that people are still going to have opinions. I mean, obviously, like the world is also vicious on the Internet. So how did you prepare for that kind of potential response to knowing that, like, you'll please some you're not going to please everyone, though? Well, that's the thing, as I told myself, um, you know, some people will like it and some people will hate it. And there's no way to avoid that, even if that was my real accent, like like Kunal Nair, for example, who I know because I've worked with him on a show before and he literally has that accent in real life and people tear him apart for his accent. So if they're going to tear people apart who have a real accent, I can't imagine what they're going to do to me. Right. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I knew it was going to happen. Um, and there's, there's really no way to prepare. If anything, I would say that it's just how I prepare for other things in my life, you know, just, um, grounding practices of meditation and self-care, which I do not just for acting, but in general, those are very important practices that I do every single day. Um, so, and, you know, just knowing that I have people who love me and support me to talk to when I do see comments like that, because they do affect me. I'm like, I'm not going to pretend like they don't affect me at all. Like I definitely, after the show came out and I saw some articles and saw some comments, they made me cry and made me Mm -hmm. really upset. And, um, you know, it's, I wasn't immune to them, but, um, I guess I bounced back by just continuing to take care of myself and know that I can't please everyone. And, as long as I know I'm doing everything and being as sincere as possible in my efforts, that's all I can do. Rita, you are a boss bitch because that is not easy <laughs> to do. And I feel like whenever I hear you answer these questions, it's a lot of like, what can I control? Like going back to that circle of control. And I, mm-hmm. I like, I think that's incredible. Um, and I'm realizing like how much, like you mentioned people are behind you, but like you have had to actively go out of your way to make sure that you're doing behaviors and activities that take care of yourself so that, what you mentioned earlier of like the vulnerable industry profession craft, you need to take care of yourself a lot and ground your mind, body, et cetera. So I think that's really impressive how you've been able to build that. And even whether or not you're in acting, I think that's something we all can do is like, there are other ways, right. Other than always talking to me, I'm sure like your husband at some point too, I'm sure like you were like, I don't want to like always talk to him about my like reactions (laughs) and comments and everything. Right. So yeah, but you know, cyberbullying and trolling is such a real thing. Like it, yeah. it's not only actors and public figures who get those comments. So it's just so important for all of us to learn how to filter those out and not let them destroy us. Because if we do give them that power, they will destroy us. Totally. Yeah. Everyone has cojones when they're like behind a phone or anonymous. Um, so yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah. And I'm um, And you mentioned earlier too, like um, watching yourself. What's it like to watch yourself? Is that awkward <laughs> or fun? <laughs> I'm extremely, extremely self-critical, and it's a very bad quality that I'm sure your therapist would tell me to stop doing. <laughs> <laughs> My own therapist also tells me that. Um, but um, I, yeah, I, I do find it very important to watch myself because I learn a lot by watching myself, whether it's. Um, you know, watching myself in a show or I do a lot of acting classes that are on camera and we get to see the scenes after. And I, I learn a lot by watching. So 
I am not one of those actors who doesn't watch my performances. I know there are some actors who don't like to watch their own performances, but I do um, mostly not because of vanity, but because I that's how I learn. Right. No, that makes sense. I remember reading something about like Adam Driver, how he like stormed out of an interview because he doesn't like to hear his yeah. own work. And I was like, yeah, man, like I, same. <laughs> like I wouldn't want to hear myself back, you know? So. Oh, yeah. It's it's very, very cringeworthy. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then there are the there are the also the times where I feel proud of myself. I'm like, okay, hey, I actually, you know, maybe when I was shooting, it was like, oh my God, this was a disaster. And then I watch it and I'm like, oh, it actually wasn't that bad. So those moments are good too. Yeah, absolutely. You're like, you can go, girl. <laughs> um, do you ever like, especially because you are working with such like-minded, brilliant um, folks around you, like, do you ever experience imposter syndrome? Oh my God. Like every day and all the time. Not oh, just sounds really relaxing. <laughs> It's really, really chill. Not really at all. But um, yeah, I, I think that before I even knew that there was something called imposter syndrome, I think I experienced that for as long as I can remember. But um, now that I know that that's a thing and that so many people feel it, um, when I do feel that way, I'm a lot more aware of it. And that helps me to get through it. Yeah. Do you have like a specific example um, recently where you're like you use that experience to overcome it? Um. I don't know specific examples, but like, you know, after the show came out, I was doing a lot of PR and a lot of press and a lot of interviews like this. Um, and, and I feel imposter syndrome a lot when I do press, when I do interviews, because I, it, first of all, it's so new to me. I didn't mm -hmm. have to do all of this before the show came out. Um, and so I felt like I was suddenly in the spotlight and having to like speak about things I haven't really ever spoken about in front of so many people and having to sound perfect and politically, polit I can't speak politically <laughs> correct and not stumble on my words. Yeah. And, you know, it was a lot of pressure and I had so much anxiety and it was not good, but it was also, um, it was also good because I learned a lot about myself and, um, you know, I realized a lot of it was imposter syndrome and just having to talk myself out of that and be very aware of it. Yeah. I know it's easy to say like, I won't let that get to me, but it just invisibly creeps up. Yeah. But um, did you ever experience that working with Mindy? I mean, she's kind of like seen as like almost like the Mecca of Indian female comedian in the industry right now. Yeah, absolutely. I um, have so much respect for her and admiration for her and I truly love her, but, um, yeah, even now, like we've been working together for a while now, but when I see her, I'd like, I'm super intimidated <laughs> because <laughs> of how, um, boss she is. But, um, but yeah, I mean, she's also such a sweetheart and that makes it a lot better. Absolutely. Um, well, and you can always text her, remember? So <laughs> <laughs> I can always call her up and yeah. ask her to put me in more shows. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I know you're actually coming out. Um, well, you've filmed the movie, but it's coming out for the audiences, right? Um, Invisible Brown Man. Mm -hmm. That was a, a short film that I did with one of my very close friends, Pritesh Shah, who created the film and starred in the film. Um, and it's already released on YouTube. I'm literally in it for like one second. I'm a very small part of it, but I was very happy to be a small part of it because I think it's such a great great piece of work and so important and relatable for people in this industry. And I'm sure people even outside of this industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, 
to your point, like it was something that feels very accessible to anyone who's experienced that type, whether of discrimination, whether you're Indian or not. Um, and mm-hmm. so, I mean, speaking of like we mentioned to earlier, like sometimes it's really hard when like you are the one Indian person um, it, of a few that are representing all of us. Yeah. And so with knowing that, right, that's another thing you have to address as you think about your platform. And this isn't for me to make you feel shittier. It's me to lead up to like <laughs> what what kinds of decisions and choices did you make, at least if you did sit down with yourself and think like, OK, uh, these are the kind of stories that I want to represent in my work. This is what I want people to associate with my work. What would that be for you? Um, well, I feel like up until I booked Never Have I Ever. I never had the luxury to sit down and think about that. It was more like, what can I do to get an audition and get any job I can get so I can pay rent? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that I would have you know, sold my soul or done something that I thought was like really um, degrading or insulting to my community or my people. But um, luckily, I don't really feel like I ever... Ha- I mean, there might have been a, a, the occasional few times where I might have had auditions for things that I was like, um, this is really not um, something I would want to do. And I might have turned them down or been happy if I didn't get them. But um, I think only now that I have a platform and I have this role on this big show, I actually have the um, privilege of turning things down. And now I can be more selective in the type of work that I do. And that being said, the types of stories that I would hope and want to tell definitely highlighting more South Asian voices and telling more stories about South Asians and normalizing all of that. And, you know, beyond just having a South Asian character or being an Indian person on the show, like I want to be able to show us in all of our complexities and showing how, you know, we go through the same things everyone goes through and we have the same issues that everyone has like mental health and, divorce and mm-hmm. you know sex just everything that you know people of color and people who are not of color white people experience um yeah. and just really getting to explore more and more stories that show all of that right it sounds like you you feel passionate about universal experiences that people can all access and whether or not right you're indian or not um which i think never have i ever does do a good job of Everyone can relate. You don't have to be brown to be able to identify with a coming of age insecurities, you know, growing up with body image, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned your platform. So that's something I, I'm really excited to see. Like, obviously, I was like, you know, just from college, I've seen you. And then now you've got this vast like Instagram following and um, you're a big shot now. So um, how <laughs> do you hope to use your platform and voice? Thank you. Um well, I'm still, you know, learning how to use it because it is something that's very new to me. And I suddenly have all of this following that I never had before. But, you know, beyond obviously what I talked about, about championing, championing um, South Asian voices, I beyond that want to use my platform and my voice to talk about things and hopefully help affect change in the areas that I really care about, like environmental justice and animal rights and mental health and, you know, um, these things that I really feel passionate about. Yeah. And I, I've seen that even as like your bio, which I know it sounds kind of like, oh, it's Instagram. But like usually we kind of lead with our Instagram bio is like this is who I'm about. And you mentioned decolonize your diet, which really rung with me because even just the concept of decolonizing our minds is something that I've been actively kind of 
reconciling with personally on my yeah. journey. Um, and so decolonizing your diet really fascinated me. Can you tell me yeah. more about what you mean by that? Yeah, I think decolonizing our lifestyles and our minds is something that is starting to become a hot topic, but nobody ever talks about decolonizing your diet. And it's something that I actually um, only recently became, um, I guess, aware of that it's that it's something that goes along with my passion for animal rights and environmental justice and, you know, meat eating and even the introduction of dairy and um all of these products came with colonization a lot of the time, even something as simple as chai that we drink in Indian culture. That was actually milk tea was introduced by the British. Right. Um, so, so when I say decolonize your diet, I am referring to a whole, it's a whole topic, but um, essentially, you know, what we eat is, um, you know, affects other beings, other people and, um, other animals and other species and our food system is very broken and there is a huge environmental impact that, um, the factory farming industry has and contributes to. And also, um, it needs to be talked about that, you know, when we talk about systemic racism and climate change and all these things, there is an intersectionality and the food system and factory farming plays into that because, you know, um, unfortunately it is the low income and black and brown communities that are disproportionately yeah. affected by factory farming and just the location of the facilities and, um, you know, the air pollution and the water pollution that comes along with that. It affects those communities of color. Right. No, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you're raise, using your platform to promote this more and more, because I feel like this is something that I'm not really sure why, but like, I feel like the earliest memory that I have as a millennial, at least is like inconvenient truth with Al Gore. And like my mom had such a crush <laughs> on him, but like, um, she like yeah. loves the environment. Um, and so she, um, I remember like after, like you still talk about climate change and how all these things are connected, right? Like the environment, climate yes. change, food, et cetera. And so, um, and even it's a conversation about race and racism. And so there it's all one, but I think people have, sort of separated it for a long time. And yeah. now I'm seeing a little bit more, but there needs to be way more attention on it. Um, Cause it's literally making we us who we are. Colonize our diet. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm so glad that you're talking about this and um, I hope to learn more from you too. Thank you. Last but not least, I wanted to ask you, Richa, knowing our audience and community that we're building with Down to Brown, what would your message be to be other brown badass women who are trying to make it in whatever dream they have and knowing that they're working with sort of the comedy and the conflicts that come with being both Indian American as they're trying to achieve it? Yeah. That's a really tough question. I mean, I feel like I myself am still learning and still trying to figure out how to not have imposter syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I will say that, you know, one thing I can say is you are not alone and you're not alone in, in your experiences because I think for so long we've been made to feel very isolated from each other. And I think it's such a great time that now, you know, there there is so much more sense of a community and, um, you know, people standing in solidarity with each other and, and talking about these things and having a podcast like this. So I think now is the time to really um, come out with our stories and stand together and just know that we are not alone and we are enough and we are important. 
Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, and as custom for Down to Brown, we ask a chip chip round, which is basically like you're not so typical questions rapid fire. Um, and so I have a few for you. Just whatever pops in your head first, you'll have to fire away. Are you ready? Is it just like one word answers? Uh, the first three are, and then others can be okay. one sentence, maybe. I'll allow okay. it. Okay. Got it. <laughs> For my Bollywood <laughs> captain, of course. <laughs> uh, number okay. one, I ask you to take a shot with me at a bar. What's the drink that you would order for us? Oh, um, I actually don't drink, but I, I have an occasional glass of wine because I love the taste of wine. Um, so I guess it would have to be wine, even though you don't really take shots of wine. I guess, um, we'll do it. We'll make it work. Um, wow. I'm talking to more and more people who don't drink and I'm like, damn, I should probably get on that wagon. Cause that's how JLo did not age. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bay area or LA. Oh, um, oh God. I can only give one word LA. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> so you have betrayed your Bay area roots. Well, I, I felt like I wanted to give an explanation, but you said one word. So okay, you can explain. You must answer. explain. <laughs> okay, I'll explain. Um, I love the Bay Area. My heart is in the Bay Area and it still feels like home. I come home, you know, at least once every couple months. Um, but for me, I've been in LA for nine years now and my career is here and my life is here. My husband is here and the beach is here and the weather is here. So, you know, I, I do. It hasn't always felt like home. It took me, I think, a while to really feel at home in LA, but I do feel that way now. So, um, I guess I'm lucky that I feel like I'm at home here and in the Bay area, but like I said, my career here and my whole life is here. So that makes sense. I mean, did you, um, meet and fall in love with your husband in LA? Yeah, he's from Vancouver. Um, and I'm from the Bay area, obviously, but we did meet here in LA. Oh, to me, I feel like that makes a big difference too. like where you fall in love and yeah. end up with your forever person kind of becomes your home. Um, so okay, yeah. fine. I say I, LA I, is I, I acceptable. I, <laughs> yeah. And I will say, I think I felt a lot more home in LA when I did meet him. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, kudos to this guy. Um, and I'll actually ask that next. Um, how does your husband explain like in his I actually am not familiar with his line of work, but if he's talking to a coworker or someone, he's like, yeah, so my wife is like on Netflix. Like, I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> how does he explain that? Um, yeah, he definitely works in a very different industry than the one I work in. He works for a recycling company in the finance department. Um, but oh yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's really cute. I feel like he is, he is very proud of me and he, he, he's a, first of all, he's a very, um, down to earth, humble, shy person. Me and him are very different. Let's just say that <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who's like loud and out there and always like being the center of attention. And he is like just in the back, like holding my purse. Um, <laughs> but you need balance. So <laughs> we need balance. We need balance. But, um, no, he's, he's super sweet and he's very proud of me. And I have heard him like on the phone talk to, you know, especially during the quarantine, I hear him on his phone calls all the time. And I've heard people asking him even, um, Oh, how's your wife? And, you know, how's her show going and how's her shooting going? And he's always super proud of me. And yeah, it's re really sweet. That's very sweet. Um, Bollywood or Hollywood? Oh God. I, do I have to give a one word answer? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can give uh, whatever you want. <laughs> All right. Well, I love Bollywood. I always have. And I grew up watching more Bollywood than Hollywood, probably. And actually, my um, my dream of becoming an actress was actually always inspired by Bollywood. And I wanted to be an actor in India before I even ever considered acting in Hollywood. Um, 
But that being said, now that I am a working actor and I have spent time both in this industry and that industry, I definitely prefer working here. But that doesn't mean that I'm shutting the door in Bollywood or, you know, that I would ever refuse to work there. I'm sure if a great opportunity came my way, I would gladly take it. Um, So I guess working wise, I would say Hollywood, but watching wise, both. Right. Oh, I like that. You tease that really well. Uh, It sounds (laughs) like either way it would be a dream to participate in either. Um, Yes. You mentioned you also like I have a quick follow up question, so I'm cheating. But you mentioned you were trying to um, act in Bollywood Mm -hmm. to a couple years in India. So how did that go? Um, Well, it didn't go really well. That's why you haven't seen me in a Bollywood movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But I um, I moved there for a couple of years, um, like kind of like halfway between the time that I moved to L.A. and now. So like five or six years ago. Um, and it, I mean, it was the, one of the best experiences of my life in terms of just personal growth and the experiences that I had as a person and as an actor and as a dancer as well. Um, but yeah, it, it was very tough for me, you know, being an outsider and not speaking Hindi fluently and not knowing a single person there. Um, I, I faced a lot of challenges and it was hard, but, um, so glad I did it because like I said, it was transformational for me and, um, made lifelong friends and felt even more connected and, um, uh, yeah, felt more connected to my culture. Yeah. I think it helps to do like a, almost study abroad of our own identity, like, you know, where, where we're from. And I feel like it's so special to build our own connection beyond our parents. So, um, that sounds amazing. And I'm, you know, it seems like meant to be, however, you did end up having that breakout role. So, um, I'm glad that it was this. (laughs) Thank you. Um, and then last couple of questions. So what was the most embarrassing thing you've done in front of someone famous? In front of someone famous. Um, Okay. So one time when I was, when I was living in Mumbai, um, I was at a bar with my friends and in walks Hrithik Roshan with one other actor. I forgot who, cause they didn't matter because the only person who mattered was Hrithik Roshan. <laughs> and, and, um, and then the actress Nargis Fakri, who's from the U S um, and they walk right by me. And I was so starstruck by Hrithik that I just felt like I needed to say something. I just had to say something. So I had word vomit. And to Nargis, who walks by me, I'm like, hey, I'm from the U.S. too. And all (laughs) three of them just stop and look at me with like the most confused expression. And she's like, okay. And then just walk away. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like such a loser. And I don't blame her at all because I probably looked like a psycho. I know. I forget that they're probably like, hey, I'm like trying not to get it like accosted by some creep. <laughs> but They were just there to like have fun and have drinks. And here was some psycho girl being like, I'm from the U.S. Like, That's so cares? funny. You, like, have you ever thought about like DMing her now and be like, hey, I tried to say hi to you. Um, I promise I wasn't crazy. <laughs> <laughs> she probably wouldn't even remember it, but yeah, I, I don't think we ever fair. need to revisit that if I ever talk to her. <laughs> True. It's not like me and my broke message to you. <laughs> oh my um, God. I still don't remember that. Good, good. Let's keep it that way. Um, last but not least, <laughs> if you weren't in the arts, what would Parallel Universe Richa be doing? Oh, um, well, either an astronaut or a therapist. Two very different things. Oh, Wow. yeah I love those (laughs) Um, well you're almost like part therapy with what some of the like self-reflections you've shared today so I feel like you have nailed that side hustle (laughs) well my mom is also a therapist and 
you know, mental health is a topic that's very important to me oh, and wow. something that we need to talk a lot more about in the yeah. community. So definitely. Absolutely. Um, I really appreciate that. But thank you so much for making time for this, Richa. I can't imagine. I don't even know what actor schedules are, but um, something tells me I went to college. Um, as you know, something tells me they're really, really busy. So thank you very much for making time. And um, this means a lot to our platform. So thank you. Of course. And thank you for making a platform like this. Of course. It's my honor. 